Podcast One production. The Health Hacker with Adam McDougall. And Dr. Nick Fuller is a guest we're having on for the second time. It's very rare that we do this. Actually, we've never done it before. So you know he must have a lot of information to bring us if we bring him back for a second time. He's from the University of Sydney, is an expert in interval weight loss. You can go back and listen to that episode to find out more about Dr. Nick. He's, he's been on this podcast before, as I said. He talks mainly, though, about dieting is important to avoid going to extremes with your nutrition. But he's back again on this episode to educate us on dieting for women and interval weight loss for women as well. And I know there's the irony of three blokes in a room talking about dieting for women, but the six principles of what you're going to talk about on this episode are sound for anyone. Of course, we all have women in our lives, whether it be daughters, cousins, sisters, mums, and wives. So we will do our best to have a conversation about women as men. Dr. Nick, welcome back again to The Health Hacker. Well, it's great to be back, and thank you for having me back on. Good to see you both. <laughs> Good to see you, mate. Yeah. The irony is, Alex, obviously, with uh, the amount of pollutions we have now in our environment and uh, the amount of, I suppose, these pollutants that are in natural um, hygiene products like shampoos, which I don't have to worry about, but deodorants and whatnot, that men actually now have higher rates of estrogen than uh, a lot of women did 100 years ago. So when we're talking about weight loss... Um, you know, for women, we can probably throw a lot of blokes and there's a lot of man boobs out there. Absolutely. So, um, we've got more hair than I saw you last time. <laughs> <laughs> so, the principles we're going to get today from this podcast will apply not just to women, but men as well. So, Absolutely. Dr. Nick, you wrote a new book about the interval weight loss for women, though. What spurred you on to write this book? Well, I guess, you know, sort of following on from what we just discussed, it, there's a lot of significant life events and challenges that women go through that us blokes don't have, ever have to worry about. But as you just alluded to, it is very important for us to be able to understand those life events so that, you know, if we have a partner or a wife, um, someone special in our life, we can better understand what they may have been through or about to go through at some stage. Um, that's, that's one part of it. The second part is I work at uh, the University of Sydney, Royal Prince Alfred Hospital here in, in Sydney, and a lot of our clinics are dealing with the young so mm-hmm. young females that are struggling with their weight, which is one significant life change yeah. where we do see weight changes, but also conception and pregnancy in our pregnancy clinics and how to help uh, females, women get back to pre-pregnancy weight. And then later on in life being uh, menopause, which is that very challenging time uh, that comes later on and often makes it very hard to shift those kilos. So there's there's those sort of two main um factors that led me to, to, you know, I guess, evolve the interval weight loss product yep. so we can uh, tailor the information even more specifically uh, to specific life events and, and challenges that women are going through, but then so that us men yep. can understand those life events so that if we're going on that weight loss journey with our partner, um, one, we know that when you do that as, as a buddy type relationship, you're more likely to succeed. Yep. But secondly, so you can really understand what might be happening physiologically um, within their body um, and also within our body, because a lot of the struggles they're going through often happens is always the same with men. Yeah, well, it's interesting. I, I remember last time we spoke that one of the stats that jumped out to me was the number of diets that women go on. Can mm. you just remind people of that stat? It's just mind blowing. Yeah, well, I guess this is a scary thing. When, when you look at you know, the obesity prevalence. We, we all talk about the problem. We all know there's a problem. Obesity rates are going up. Uh, roughly two in three people are overweight. Uh, so you walk down the street, next time you do that, look around, two in three people are struggling. Mm. 
But when it comes to the specific stats, um, it's 75% of men that are overweight and only 60% of women. Now, in reaction to that, there's two sort of, I guess, main problems. One is that uh, women, you know, they're not, they're struggling with their weight like us, but they're more likely to react Mm. and they're unfairly targeted through the dieting industry. So they will most likely jump into diets. And to answer your question, they've been on 61 diets by the age of 45 years. They're going on four to five diets every year. So they're basically spending 30 years, 30 maddening years of their life dieting. And if dieting worked, we wouldn't have that problem. They wouldn't continue to keep going in and buying these online weight loss programs, diets, whatever the magic pill is, um, because, you know, the obesity prevalence would be going the other way. Yeah. So for women, okay, we, we spoke about the three stages in particular around that life cycle. Teenagers, tell us about teenagers and some of the problems they face. Yeah, well, this is this is a really challenging one. I guess now with the rise of social media, uh, it is it has enabled a lot of people to have a voice. So we're seeing a lot of experts and influencers uh, promoting different products mm. and and often pushing these products onto their followers. So what we're seeing is with patients that present to our clinics, uh, a lot of these people, particularly the young males and females are avoiding certain foods. Um, Dairy is the latest one. Mm. So it's the one that 90% of young females, teenagers are avoiding because they fear that it causes weight gain. Ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It's the complete opposite. Opposite. When you look at the research, dairy is the one that- Dive into that a bit more because Alex has asked me this before, but- It's in a very simply put way, they fear it causes weight gain. It's the high fat content and that negative media that has been, you know, sort of- uh, evolved in the dairy industry. They're moving towards milk alternatives, dairy milk alternatives like almond milk and, and soy and coconut and oat milk. Um, but when you actually look at the literature, um, you know, the randomized controlled trials and also the larger population epidemiological studies, mm-hmm. those that include more dairy actually have lower body weights. Mm-hmm. You should be including plenty of dairy. And if you're one of those, you know, people that are lactose intolerant, which does affect two thirds of the population, then you need to move to lactose free milk. Yep. And if you really want to stay away from cow's milk, the next and only alternative is calcium enriched soy milk. Yep. Everything else should just stay on the supermarket shelves. Yep. Um, and that's, you know, the, I guess coming back to what we were talking about with the teenage um, and, and the younger females, this is the sort of challenge that we have. So they've been led to believe that certain foods cause weight gain. They present, um, you get a history of, of what they've been doing for the past few years. They've been following, for instance, dairy-free um, dieting practices, yeah. and it's only contributed to their problem. Um, and what we're seeing is the largest increase in weight at that particular time in life. And can you explain to people why it's so important? It's an integral foundation of your body's health and, and weight gain history is what you do in them teenage years. That's when your body is actually facilitating the growth of, of fat cells. Yeah, this is the most important time of our mm. life. It's, it's, you know, throughout those, those transition years, they are the years where you need to be setting the right foundations mm. and practicing healthy principles uh, of, of, of a lifestyle that will last and, and see you hopefully stay within a healthy weight because otherwise 
what we do is we, we drive our set point up, which is basically this body weight we protect. Once yep. it goes up, it's very hard to take it back down. Yep. It's very easy to drive it up in the yep. modern day environment, but taking it and reversing it, um, taking the weight off, as we all know, um, is, is hard to sustain or hard to sort of achieve. Can you just touch on, you said before, set point on what that is? Well, I think we did it a bit in the last episode, but just to paraphrase. To discuss the foundation of the set point, if everybody thinks of that weight that they've been at for a long period of time. So for some people, it might be 60 kilos, others it might be 80, and then other people, it might be 200 kilos plus. But it's that weight that you'll remember being at for a long period of time in your adult years. Now, what happens is when we impose a stress on the body, our body will protect that set point. So that is the basically the point or the equilibrium that it's most comfortable at. And it feels like it should be protecting. Now, this is due to evolution. Hundreds of thousands of years ago, when we, we were hunter-gatherers, um, often we would go long periods of time without food, hours, days, and our body would learn to shut down during times of deprivation. That was in order to survive and procreate. Otherwise, our weight would have continued to go down. So in the modern day environment, you have the same thing going on. You've put the, the genes... Um, in the modern day environment, which have not changed over time, yep. despite what we often talk about and blame genes. Ge- yep. Our genes are, are still the same, yep. but we have a different environment, have a hard time saying no. And as a result, our set point or our baseline weight is going up. So everyone knows basically what that weight is. Uh, and, and that's that weight you'll protect. Now with weight loss or dieting or whatever we want to refer to it as, when you lose weight, it shuts down it'll do all it can to eliminate that stress. It sees weight loss as a stress. Mm. It doesn't want to change its set point. So your metabolism will lower. So the amount of energy you're burning at rest will actually go yeah. down. So it's almost as you're losing weight, it's going to be harder to lose more weight. Yeah, because you're, you're your body's yeah. going yeah. into survival mode. Okay. okay? And remember, that was in order to procreate when yeah. food wasn't available. Now, the scary thing about this is that you don't often just go back to 80 kilos you often go back to, say, 80.5 or 81. Mm. Your body learns to prepare for that next bout of starvation mm. and it will add a little bit of extra fat to protect, itself. to protect itself. Talk about the Biggest Loser study, for example, which showed this clearly. Fascinating piece of research by Kevin Hall, I mm. mean, and an and obesity expert in the US. Mm. So what happened with this research that he did? He followed the contestants up from The Biggest Loser. Oh, after the show. After the show. Yeah. And they found that, not only had they stacked the weight back on, Mm. but their metabolisms had never recovered. Mm. Their metabolisms were still lower even after putting the weight back on. So what does that mean? It means they're going to continue to put weight back on because they're burning less energy at rest. So they've set themselves up for, unfortunately, a lifetime of sufferance and Mm. misery. Which, you know, through the wrong practices, touch upon this is why elimination and extreme diets don't work. Yes. Because where do you go? Once you've got that set point, and you remove everything at once and you start to lose weight, the body's fighting to hold on to that weight. You're fighting all, your biology. Where have you got to go? You're fighting your biology and where have you got to go? You cut out all the carbs. How mm. then do you lose weight? What else do you take out of your diet mm. to mm. then to continue to lose weight? So can you expand on you know why eliminating things and doing this extreme approach just doesn't work? Definitely. And, and I guess that's the most important thing to, to really highlight is that you are fighting your biology with, with weight loss. Mm. And this is why it is so challenging. And this is why it's one of the reasons, being dieting, 
that's actually accelerating the obesity epidemic. Mm. Now on that, very quickly, just before we move on to food avoidance, there is a fascinating study looking at twins. It looks at 4,000 twins and basically follows them up over 25 years. It's a big study. Huge study. Massive study study conducted in Finland, Finnish twins. And what they wanted to do was see whether weight loss or intentional weight loss or dieting contributed to weight gain. What they found was the the twin that had dieted throughout their lifetime was always heavier than the one that didn't. The one that did nothing about their weight, continued on, may have still had a weight problem, was always lighter mm. than the one that had bought into diets. Now, tying into to food avoidance and, and all of the different diets, I mean, we've seen it sort of evolve from the Atkins era back in the 70s. Since then, there's been different versions of low-carb, high-protein diets. Uh, now, why do you lose weight when you, when you follow these diets and, and why do they grab everyone's attention? Because you lose weight quickly. Carbohydrates buy water. Water weighs a lot in the body for every gram of, of a carbohydrate. You're binding 2.7 grams of water. You take out carbohydrates, you eliminate body water quickly. You see the result on the scales. The weight goes down quickly. You talk about it with your friends and your family and your colleagues. But eventually that weight loss slows down. Um, and also you start to incorporate or reincorporate carbohydrates into your diet. So they're really just giving you that quick instant gratification that you're looking for, but they're not the long-term solution. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? So it's, it's really, you know, not about dieting. It's about developing habits and lifestyles and, and consistent sort of behaviors on a daily basis to make better food choices and make better lifestyle choices is the key. Absolutely. And uh, that's where Interval Weight Loss for Women bundles up the program into six simple principles mm. so that you can learn what these principles are but important like you just mentioned practice them into daily habits or daily behaviors the health hacker with adam mcdougall so you want to go through some of your principles the six principles first one is you can't fight evolution Hmm. this is all about imposing breaks and this is the underlying principles behind a lot of my work and in preventing weight regain because remember we can lose weight most of us you don't have a struggle losing weight, but it's that weight regain. That's what we're we're really trying to address and prevent people, you know, going back to their set point or their start weight. We now know you can redefine your set point, but only through this practice, uh, which I've uh, termed interval weight loss. Yep. So you lose weight over the period of a month, about two kilos, but then you have to maintain it during the next month. Then you're allowed to go on and lose again, and then you maintain. It's a bit like um, uh, with the analogy of a diver preventing the bends. You can't just come to the surface straight away. Yep. You mm. need to come up, stop, come up, stop, come up, stop. And you do the reverse with weight loss. You go down, stop, down, stop, down, stop. When you impose the brakes, you actually prevent what we just talked about kicking the, into gear, the biology. The bounce back, yeah. mm. You prevent the bounce back. You yeah. prevent your biology saying, hey, I need to go back to my set point. So as a result, I'll lower my metabolism. I'll change my appetite hormones to tell me to eat more. Yeah. It's, it's what we need to do is actually prevent your biology kicking into gear because otherwise you're always doomed for failure. So simply put, 
you can't fight evolution means impose weight loss breaks every second month. And as a result, you can actually lose weight and importantly, prevent the weight regain. How did you get on to four weeks as the period for that? Um, that the period? four weeks, because two kilos is quite manageable mm-hmm. for a person to be able to lose that weight. Yep. It's about 0.5 kilo a week. It's an achievable, realistic uh, way of losing. If someone lost um, the weight over a couple of weeks and then maintained for a couple of weeks, lost for a couple of weeks, you know, that approach is also um, studied and researched. Mm-hmm. As long as you're losing, say, the two kilos, which is borderline clinically significant, and that's yep. the weight loss that improves our health yep. and our metabolic um, outcomes, and then maintain a break at intervals, so two kilos over a month, maintain two kilos a month, yep. et cetera, et cetera, then you're actually preventing what we are addressing, and that is our biology. Otherwise, you will just get your body fighting itself. Yep. And then to lose those initial two kilos, you're still not talking about doing anything extreme. You're talking about maybe just watching portion and sugar intake and making sure you've got a balanced diet. Yeah, and that ties into a lot of these other principles in the book. Um, Second one is oh, yeah. Yeah, reach for nature first. Yeah, so, reach for, yeah. for nature first basically means... Go for the fruits, the nuts, the avocado, the olive oils, because they will release those feel-good chemicals in the brain. They will make you want to go back for those foods. Mm-hmm. The problem is in the Monday environment, we get that feel-good response from the processed and packaged foods. But when you line two people up and you present those different foods in front of them, you're still getting the same brain activity from each of those. They're both high in fat and high in sugar, but one is high in naturally occurring fat and naturally occurring sugar. And it's also packed with other nutrients like fiber, which is going to fill you up for longer periods of time. Mm. So it's about learning or retraining your brain so you can say no most of the time, but you know, the once a week during the weight loss months, you can still say yes, might be the KFC or whatever food it is. Everyone has their their favorites, the chocolate bar, but you can still have that. Because if you say no all of the time, remember, we evolved to seek out these foods. Mm. You're only going to overindulge and binge on them later on. Mm. That's why the deprivation does not work or the complete abstaining from foods. Yeah, it's a brilliant concept. And we were speaking about it before. You know, the reality is, is that the brain craves these foods from a biological point of view. Um, an evolutionary point of view that, you know, there's a bliss point that food manufacturers know it's one gram of fat to two grams of sugar because that mimics breast milk. Um, but the problem with these processed foods, as the doctor will explain, is the fact that they're designed to hijack our brains. So whilst one has natural fat, natural sugar, they're filled with other things like fiber, which actually affect the release of these things like sugar into our system. So they have a different response to the amount that we crave these things. Mm. Do you want to expand on that? And, and, and even, um, the simple fact that they don't they don't fill you up for long periods mm. of time. So you have it and then what happens, you know, not long after, you want to have it again mm. and you want to have it again. This is why we have a very hard time not saying no to just the one Tim Tam. Mm. We want to eat the whole packet. It's very easy to do. Or the one ship or the one arm and croissant. It's, it's this never-ending, you know, reach for those foods while they keep triggering that feel-good response. And then the, the third principle is follow the rainbow, full rainbow. Yeah, so it ties into Alex's question about what you should be doing. It's mm. not about deprivation. Yeah. This is all about putting more food in our body. Again, we've been brainwashed to think that we should deprive food. We should calorie count. We should restrict the amount of food we put in our body. But guess what happens? You put less food in. 
your body shuts down. Mm. And this is why the calorie in versus calorie out, uh, I, I guess, message, it's not as simple as that. Your no. body is far too smart and it will um, basically shut down as you deprive itself. And again, ties back to evolution. Yep. Remember, food wasn't available. Our body would learn to shut down in order to survive. So full rainbow is all about having at every meal a source of carbohydrate, whole grain carbohydrate, a source of protein, and a source of good fat. And having more, not less. It's not about depriving. And this is one of the hardest things for a person to really get their head around when they start the interval weight loss plan. You know, it's it's something that they're just not used to, the fact that they can eat more food, but then that is how their body responds in the best possible way. It welcomes that nutrition, and then you start to sh- see that shift in weight. Deprivation is not the answer. All right, and then you move on to use chopsticks, which I really love this one. <laughs> chopsticks, that's right. It's, um, it's probably everyone's favorite. It's basically eating more at the start of the day, setting yourself up for success. Yeah. And eating less at the end of the day. So breakfast should be your biggest meal. It is the most important meal, not just from a physical point of view, but from a mental, um, psychological, setting yourself up, setting the foundation for the rest of the day. Meal size and portion size should then taper off. Dinner is the most important meal from a social and a cultural perspective. If you have a family sitting down with them, even if you're by yourself sitting at the table and thinking about your day, but it's a time to sit down and use chopsticks. Now, if you're a master of the chopsticks, it means using a small teaspoon or a small <laughs> fork, but it's basically telling you to slow down your eating habits yeah. because we're not allowing the time for um, the signals to be sent from our stomach to our brain to tell us we're full. This mm. process takes you know 10 to 20 minutes. By slowing down that volume of or that, that speed of eating, you're allowing for that process to take place. And if you've had enough food at the start of the day, you'll get away with that small portion uh, at the end of the day. At the moment, we have it the complete wrong way around. We get up, we run out the door, we might grab a coffee. Our biggest meal might be lunch, afternoon. Oh, you know, We start our food intake at that day and then we really ramp up the food intake when we get home. We, we reach for the comfort foods because we've deprived ourselves all day. Sometimes the alcohol comes out as well, the cheese and the wine, and then we end up having dinner as the biggest meal. And that should be the smallest meal. Um, and you should be using chopsticks to slow down your eating habits. Yeah, it's a great one, is it? Portion distortion is a big problem for a lot of people with their waistline. So that, that's a really great tip. And it's one of my favorites in the book as well. And then the fifth principle, choose to move. Choose to move. We evolved to move. So it's about getting an activity monitor or using uh, the activity monitor on your phone and measuring your steps, seeing where you're at. Mm. We use a, uh, you know, a measure of 10,000 steps. Uh, it's, it's, it's just a guide. Yep. It doesn't, it doesn't mean a lot, but it does encourage you to move. Now you'll find that if you do go and measure your steps, the majority, the population norm is 6,000 steps or less. And that's quite sedentary. So you should really be incorporating activity in a way that's part of your day-to-day life. If you don't love going to the gym, well then don't go to the mm. gym, but you know, do something you do enjoy because exercise should be part of your day-to-day life. Uh, it might involve breaking up the day and doing small little snippets, or it might be just that half an hour of structured activity that's put into your calendar so you don't skip it. The second part to that is you should be doing a mixture of intensities. Mm. Don't always do low intensity. Yep. When you're time poor, do some high intensity activity. Yeah, yeah. 
you're going to reap probably, you know, just as many benefits in the same period of time. Um, but it, it really does provide that change in stimulus that's often needed too for weight loss. Mm. If you don't change the, the equilibrium and the, what the body's used to, uh, much like an athlete, if you pres- prescribe the same program, the training will plateau. Think of that with your weight loss. You have to change the stimulus to achieve that that weight loss you're after. Otherwise, your body does get used to what you've been doing for for many, many years. So even if you're active, you know, mix up what you're doing. If you're not active, get yourself an activity monitor and start to measure where you're at and slowly incorporate activity in a way that you can sustain and that you love. If it's tennis, if it's walking, running, whatever it is, but do something you love. You know, the other important thing about moving as well is that, um, you know, muscle is very important as well for you know, I hate the word weight loss a lot of the time. It should be fat loss. So can you explain to people why it's important exercise for, from a, a muscle point of view? It's one of the largest predictors of preventing weight regain. Mm. When you lose weight, think of it like this. You want to lose as much as you can from fat mass mm-hmm. and you want to lose as little as you can from your lean body mass or your muscle mass. Now, the best way to do that is by incorporating activity. When you have activity in your day-to-day plan, you're, you're preserving your muscle. In some instances, you might be putting on a little bit of muscle depending on what sort of training program you're following. Yep. But the most important thing is you're preserving and you're minimizing as much loss from muscle as possible. And that's because muscle is metabolically active. So if you sit down two people of the same weight, let's use 100 kilograms, but one has a higher body fat to muscle than the other person yep. that has higher muscle, yep. well, obviously the one with more muscle is going to be burning more energy at rest. That's great, okay? That's more favorable in terms of keeping that weight off long-term. So if you have that weight loss goal that you're working towards, when you get to, to that goal, you want to have held on to as much of your current muscle as possible. You'll always lose a little bit, mm-hmm. but what you're doing is preserving. And the way to preserve is exercise. exercise yep. Any form of exercise, it doesn't matter. You don't have to be doing resistance training, you don't have to be flogging yourself in the gym. You need to be moving and you need to be incorporating a range of body weight and non-body weight activities. The reason I say that is because if you do start with a higher body weight yep. and you go and undergo an exercise routine, um, it's likely your body's not going to be able to cope. Uh, the pressure and stress on your joints, mm-hmm. for example, and then something's going to give and you'll probably get injured. And that'll only result in a downward spiral because you won't be able to go out and exercise. So if you're starting at a higher body weight or have an exercise for a period of time, do a body weight bearing exercise. So that might be a walk or a run. Yep. Then put a bike ride or a swim in between. Something like that will take the stress off the joints and enable you to keep going. And then making sure you change the activity in terms of the intensity. Don't always do low intensity. Yep. Uh, some days you need to get the sweat up or get a sweat up. And and you push yourself to a little bit more of a, uh, I guess, an extreme or something that you're not used to. Yeah. And can you expand on why muscle is so important as well for petitioning calories to the right areas rather than putting it around your waistline? It becomes really, muscles become really a sink to absorb some of them calories as well. Definitely. It's it's sort of the metabolic um, gateway. It's, it's, it's what really drives uh, weight. Yep. So just think of really simply muscle being metabolically active. It's burning fuel. It's making your body work efficiently. Yep. So whenever you exercise, you're preserving the muscle, you're holding onto your muscle stores. 
And that is going to make your body uh, work much more efficiently. What a brilliant hack, isn't it? You know, here women are struggling with their weight, focusing on doing more aerobic exercise, eating less when, you know, one of the best hacks is trying to actually follow a diet that allows you to preserve muscle, build muscle, and do an exercise program that helps protect and build muscle as well. We touched on teenagehood. The other big one in the middle of that for a woman's life sometimes will be if they have the opportunity to have children. Can we talk about that? Yeah, this is another extremely challenging time. It, you know, for some it's it's one, but then it might be two, three, four or more children. Yeah, true. Yeah. And with every pregnancy comes that weight struggle and that pressure, I guess the societal pressure to go back to pre-pregnancy weight. Mm. Now, again, it's not necessarily due to that hormonal um, change that we often refer to. It's actually due to the change in lifestyle that's happening at this time. So if that, that mom is, is looking after one kid and then two and three, or even if it's just one, often their preferences change. Instead of now looking after themselves, they focus everything on that child. So that person becomes first and their health goes down, falls down even further on the priority list. It means that they're taking and making poorer health uh, food choices. They're, they're doing less activity. And another key one, that they're getting less sleep. Mm, true. Sleep is a huge one. They, they are not getting that quality sleep, you know, even during pregnancy. But then after delivery, that continues to struggle. We're getting good quality sleep. Um, they're, they're feeding regularly. Uh, and, and, you know, they're really catering for someone else and their priority or their health goes right down the bottom mm. of the list. And as a result, that comes with a weight struggle. And then they beat themselves off about it. And you're like, well, it's pretty tough at the moment for you to do that. Definitely. It's, it, it's about taking the struggle, you know, I guess pressure off yourself. But also, as we importantly said, not reacting. If you react by going to sign up to one of those diets and weight loss programs, I promise you, you will get the short-term fix you're looking for. But your weight struggle will be exponentially increase lifelong because remember your your set point will only go higher over mm. time mm. brilliant isn't it because people come to me all the time and ask me i want to lose weight what's the answer adam and i say don't buy man shake don't buy lady shake learn how to sleep mm. sleep tell people why that's so important well it's it really is a precursor to many other things that happen in our lifestyle if you're sleep deprived um we know you you know, the number one thing is you're more likely to make poorer food choices. So if there's one thing you take away, and it's another one of the principles, which is the no blue light yeah, after twilight, number six, yeah. number six, it's all about improving your sleep quality. Mm. Not everyone has the eight hours every day to get that quantity. Mm. But if you can get the six or hopefully seven quality hours um, or at least rest hours, mm -hmm then, you know, that is really setting you up for a lifetime of success. So you have to be focusing on just one thing. Um, if you have to be focusing on one thing, it's sleep, mm. especially if it's deprived at the moment. Mm -hmm. Another common one we find is that they put their, their young um, one to bed and they think, well, that's now a time to unwind. I'll sit up and they often view TV. It's actually a time when you should be going to bed. You need to rest around your, unfortunately, constraints of, of your child and when yeah. they're sleeping or your newborn, because that's the only way you're going to get sleep in at that challenging time. Mm. 
you know, there's all sorts of hormonal changes that happen as well. But really, it's coming down to the fact that sleep results in poorer lifestyle choices, mm-hmm. which will drive your weight up over time. The no blue light after twilight, I mean, this applies for men and women. Can you explain chemically what's happening in the brain when you are viewing blue light closer to sleep? Yeah, it disrupts your circadian rhythm. So when we uh, watch um, or use technology, there's a blue light emission, uh, which, which basically tells you, blue light will tell you when you should and, and shouldn't sleep. So when blue light is emitted, um, basically it's telling your brain that, you know, you should be up, you should be moving, you should be working. And that latency time, that time to fall asleep is affected. So what we say is no blue light after twilight. With the natural, you know, progression from from um, dawn to dusk, is is designed for our bodies to say, okay, this is a time when we should be working, and then there's a time when we should be resting. You have to set yourself up for success. To do that, you should eliminate as best or as much as you can technology in the evening time. So take the phone out of the bedroom if you can use an old school um, analog alarm clock remove the TV, any other form of technology, that's a place of rest. It's not a place for technology. Mm-hmm. No laptops, trying to minimise your TV time. Any sort of TV or screen time in the evening time is something that you know we've really become addicted to. So what we do is we get people to use simple to-do lists, write down a list of things you need to work on. Instead of flicking on the TV, get active in that time of the day. Use that time constructively. So there might be one or two days where your favourite show's on or whatever it is. Sure, you can still watch that. This is not about eliminating everything. Remember, we don't do that. We, we, it doesn't work long term. It's also not healthy. But with the no blue light after twilight, it's also about using the time constructively in the evening. That will help with the emotional and comfort eating, which is another key driver that's increasing our weight over time. We're eating without even thinking about it. And we're eating those foods, remember, that release the feel-good response in the brain. The ones that we can just keep eating and eating and eating that don't fill us up. So just to surmise everything we've gone through, it's interval weight loss for women with Dr. Nick Fuller. For a lot more detail about how interval weight loss works, you can listen to the previous episode with Dr. Nick. This one is about the six core principles for women. And it sounds like men can take a lot from this as well. The first principle is you can't fight evolution. The second one is reach for nature first. The third one is eat the rainbow or have a full rainbow. The fourth principle is use chopsticks. And the fifth principle is choose to move. And finally, the sixth one is no blue light after twilight. Dr. Nick, I don't think this is going to be the last time we're going to have you on The Health Hacker, so we look forward to that time, but thank you for this one. Uh, thank you very much for having me in, and it's definitely worthwhile for, for men and women. Uh, the principles, the six principles relate to everyone, uh, and you'll better understand what you know your partner or wife might be going through through, through different parts of their life. Uh, for extra accountability, through the University of Sydney Incubate program. We do have an online program. Yeah, tell us about the app now you've developed. Yeah, it's it's a, a website application where you, you can get that accountability you're looking for. Um, it, it, it basically provides that personalised weight loss journey, uh, gets you to track your weight each week so you can monitor the trend. Um, remember, particularly around that principle one where you're not fighting or you can't fight evolution. Yep. So it's helping you impose those breaks and keep you on track. But also, importantly, helping you convert the principles into daily habits. Because if you don't do that, 
yeah, you're not actually making lifelong change. And that's basically coming down to, you know, a daily checklist where you're logging in and you might be just working on one of the principles to start with. But over time, all of those six principles become a way of life, your daily habits, um, which again will set you up for, for prevention of weight regain because really that's what we're doing. We're, we're really losing weight by setting yourself up so your biology doesn't fight itself and you can keep the weight off long term. And you can check all that out at intervalweightloss.com.au or just Google Dr. Nick Fuller. He's a best-selling author and he's on for this very reason. Mate, thank you so much again for coming in. Thank you very much. Health Hacker was created in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Written and presented by Adam McDougall. Produced and presented by Alex Mitchell. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. To listen to more episodes, search Health Hacker Podcast. Listen for free at podcastoneaustralia.com.au or download the Podcast One Australia app.